Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. A lot of us wear multiple hats in our lives. Desiree Argentina, my guest this week, wears more than most. In fact, as we talked, I found myself wondering if she's stolen Hermione Granger's time-turner because, as you'll hear, I could not fathom how she finds time for it all. She's a school counselor, a screenwriter, a podcast host, a film production assistant, and a travel blogger. We talk about perfectionism, the structural requirements of screenwriting, how to get into film production, what scares us about travel, and what doesn't, and a lot more. Here's my conversation with Desiree Argentina. Desiree, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. Me too. And so like you, I, I am so tempted to say you do a little bit of everything and everything is an exaggeration, but it feels like that to me because you, you know, you have the podcast, you have the blog, you do screenwriting, you write short stories, you write essays, which is close enough to everything for me. It's a lot more than most people do. And I'm just wondering, you know, how, how did you get started? Obviously writing seems to be the, the big theme. Did you write a lot as a kid? Um, yeah, so it feels like that to me too. I, I honestly feel, um, very overwhelmed with all the stuff I have to do and that's, uh, or that I'm interested in. So that's actually been something that I've been working on trying to prioritize and pick days and be more disciplined. And because I'll get very into my travel blog and I'll focus on that for weeks and then I won't write my screenplay for weeks or months. And then I'll get really into the screenplay and I'll write that every day, but I won't touch my podcast for months. So, you know, I'm trying to get into the habit of balancing everything and not mm. putting things on the back burner. But yeah, I always was writing when I was younger. I remember in fourth grade, um, I had a teacher and, um, I guess they're like assistant teacher. And I wrote a book. Um, I was reading a book about animals. I'm a big animal lover. Um, so that's one of the things I do too. I run a cat rescue on the side of working nice. full, full time. Yeah. So I'm a big animal lover. So I wrote a whole book um, in fourth grade about animals and just facts about them and everything. And my um, teacher and assistant teacher, I showed it to them. They were like, oh my gosh, you're going to be an author when you grow up. I just know it. And so that's like my, you know, I've always written. I loved my English classes, my creative writing classes, um, but I never really... I guess, started taking it seriously until probably even just a few years ago. I mean, I've written movie reviews and things like that. And I wrote my first script. I mean, not formatted, just pretty horrible. When I was 18, I wrote my <laughs> first one, but I didn't know anything about it. I just like wrote out a whole script, like just on in word patterns, you know, notebook mm -hmm. or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I've kind of always been, um, a writer, but, um, I've been taking it more seriously the last few years and trying to be dedicated to writing. And I started writing kind of articles and essays and short stories. And actually, you know, I always write, but they're always on my computer. They're always just in my documents folder. So I was like, I really should be posting these. Even if nobody reads them, I should put them out into the world. So I started posting them on my blog. So when your teachers were so excited, how did that hit you? When I was younger, I was like, they're right. I am going to be a writer. I am going to have a book. I was like, they're so smart. 
<laughs> Did your family agree? Um, I would tell them about my, I don't really remember. I would tell them about my short stories. And I remember I wrote, I wrote one short story in middle school and it was about one of my biggest fears in life is, um, I try, you know, I have a travel blog and I'm a traveler, but, um, my biggest fear is flying. I hate planes. I'm like, I get panicky. I get nightmares and, you know, I'm very scared of flying. So I wrote this long story about me being in a plane crash and I was the only survivor. <laughs> and, they, and they were like, why would you be the only survivor? That's horrible. So I added in a few extra survivors because of their feedback. <laughs> Did it make any difference to how you feel about flying? No, not at all. I'm terrified. I cry on almost every flight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is hard as like a world traveler. Like whenever I have trips coming up, I start to get nightmares a few weeks Ooh. before the flight. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you've been on some long flights, so. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So I've been getting better, I feel like, but it's still, it's still a thing. But I guess I wrote that story in middle school because of that preoccupation. But yeah, I, I haven't had anything um, kind of officially published, but I have had two of my short films produced, which is really exciting. That is awesome. So I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to get more produced. And you know, short films, there's no money in that. I mean, I didn't make mm -hmm. anything, but just to have like, I have an IMDb page with, you know, writer as the credit, which is really cool. That's phenomenal. That's got to be I do like wanna... the day when you get see your Amazon page with your book on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I want. Because I know you're a published novelist, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, so that's, that was always my dream actually was to write a book or a novel. And um, I guess I've kind of gotten... I guess off of that path, I'm not so much into writing a novel anymore, but that was always my goal growing up. Uh, but I guess it kind of shifted to more of the articles and, you know, screenplays and travel blog kind of thing. I mean, I would like to write a travel book, um, but that's, you know, a distant thought kind of. So when you wrote that script, when you were, you said 18, mm -hmm. that was the first time you tried writing a script at all? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just got hooked? <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. I really, I really did. And, you know, I didn't write another script again for years, but after I wrote that script, I think it kind of inspired me to, you know, kind of say, actually, I do kind of want to know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I just wrote it out because the, the scenes were just playing in my head. Um, so I think that kind of inspired me to be like, oh, let me read about screenwriting. Let me get this book. And But I didn't write another script, oh my gosh, until I was probably maybe 26. Well, that's a while. Yeah. 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 I kind of focused more on movie reviews. That's fair. Yeah. Somewhere mm -hmm. around here, I still have J. Michael Straczynski's complete book of script writing, I think. Oh, okay. Because I bought that when I was in high school. I was like, oh, I'm going to like write a thing. And I never, I haven't ever really played with it. But, you know, okay. it, was, it was definitely one of one of those ideas. I was like, oh, that would be different and cool. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you plan all of your stuff out before you write it? Or do you fly by the seat of your pants? Um, kind of both. Um, it depends. So I, you know, I listen to all of these podcasts on screenwriting and I read all these books and they all say, you know, plan, 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 and, you know, do your, your board and take the notes and plan out all the scenes. And so I'm trying to get back into that habit, but 
I kind of just for my shorts, I don't plan for my shorts. I just write them out. Um, and my features, I'm trying to get better at planning because I, I'll write and I see all the scenes in my head and I'll write them out. And then I get to this point where I'm like, Oh, I have no idea what is going to happen next. So, um, I'm trying to get better at planning. So, um, in the other room, I have a big cork board with scenes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, posted to it. And I'm trying to fill that out before I write the script. I'm like 60 pages or maybe 50 pages into the script I'm writing right now. Um, but I'm not good at the planning and that's something I'm trying to strengthen because it's really one of my big weaknesses. And it's, it's an interesting thing because screenwriting is so much more structured than mm-hmm. novel writing. I mean, with a yeah. novel, you know, you can write 600 pages and do what you want with it and that's fine. Yeah. But screenwriting exactly. has such definite, definite rules. It has so many rules. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And there's people that say, oh, you know, you could break the rules and, you know, be your own writer and do that. But then there's other people that are like, you know, don't even send it to a producer mm-hmm. or anything, you know, don't even bother because you'll just look unprofessional. So there's definitely two kind of streams of thought with that. I think um, there are people who are like, you know, forget that I'm going to be creative, but I'm still into trying to follow the rules. But I remember um, I, it was like a year, no, two years ago, um, I sent my feature script to a director and he was like, did you follow the structure? You know, after he read some of it and I was like, Oh, I tried my best. And I never heard back from him again. Mm. So I guess he didn't like that. I didn't follow it to a T. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, so I only know that there were so many rules in dramatic writing because I went to an MFA program and had a bunch of friends who were in the dramatic writing track. So I'm wondering if you could like, tell us a little bit about some of the rules. Cause I think a lot of them are structural rather than more formulaic. And I think a lot of people don't know that. So they probably don't really know why, why it might be important to follow them or why it might not. Right. Exactly. So there's different rules. So obviously as for formatting, you know, if you don't follow the format, if you send it out and there's typos and you know that as a novelist mm-hmm. too, but if you don't, if there's any typos in your first few pages, um, you know, it's just forget it. You're not going to hear back, but as for the structure, um, so there's just different points that you have to hit. Um, so one book I would recommend is save the cat. Um, that's a really good one. It just lays out the structure. So just precise for you. And it says like on this page, you should hit this. And on this page, you should hit this. So right away, you want to state your theme and you want to introduce your characters and have them be strong characters. You want to have them, um, go through like a struggle and, you know, kind of change towards the end, you know, they're enlightened and uh, there's like midpoints you have to hit where the story changes. And there's a point where, um, you know, on this certain page, um, you know, the conflict happens and the character has to decide, make a decision to go into this journey. And it's just very, um, you know, there's different points you have to hit and, um, you want it to be between, if you're doing a feature, 90 to 110 pages and just each few pages it's you know you hit this and this and then into like the I don't know the exact page off the top of my head but in the kind of in the middle of it you want to hit the um they call it like the fun and games where just like the world the world they're in is kind of crazy and all these things are happening and they say like those are the scenes you see in the trailer 
um, you know, ah. the exciting stuff. And then you get to the part where, you know, all is lost and, you know, your hero is just having a really hard time. Nothing's working out. And so, so yeah, there's all different things like that. And, you know, the story arc hits a point. And so, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. To follow, to follow. There's a lot. And so it's not, it's not so much that, you know, it's so with a screenplay, you have a much more limited amount of time, whereas with a novel, yes. you don't, which is why you can kind of go on plot safari and that may very well be okay as long as you know what you're doing. Um, and that's why people will look at things and say, no, we can, we don't know what to do with this. This doesn't follow. It's this, it's going to cost too much to make this because it's going to go mm-hmm. on for three hours, you know, whatever. Right. But one of the really interesting things that I do remember hearing at one of our keynote addresses at a Goddard re- residency was from, I'm pretty sure it was Deborah Brevort, who's one of the dramatic writing faculty. And she talked about how it's not even just that, but that like we're trained to expect things at certain times. Yes. And, yes. and she said, this is like the one thing that I remember about screenwriting <laughs> or probably dramatic writing in general. But she said like the first plot point has to happen right around minute 23, which would be page 23 because a page is about a minute yes. with screenwriting. Yes. And if it doesn't, people get really uncomfortable. She said she's yes. been in theaters and watched people and they start shifting and getting restless and because it drives us nuts. And the way mm-hmm. she described it was that it's the dramatic equivalent of that unresolved chord in the musical. You know, yes. your brain yeah. wants the chord to resolve into mm-hmm. something that's happy and cheerful. And when it sits there in that dissonance, it drives you crazy. And that it's kind of the same thing. And, you know, I kept sitting there while she was talking going, oh, come on, that can't be right. <laughs> and then I started noticing, you know, when I would watch a DVD, I would look at the time. And, mm-hmm. and like, you know, the moment in the mall in Back to the Future when Marty has to get in the DeLorean and drive away is right around minute 23. I mean, Isn't it's, that it's like so funny. Yeah. It's like it's right there. It may not be 23 mm-hmm. exactly, but it's right, right in that neighborhood because otherwise, it, you know, everybody's going to get restless. And it's funny because you you just people who are just watching a movie that aren't involved in writing or screenwriting, they have no idea, but your brain really is, you're like, Oh, this is going to be the conflict. And Oh, this is going to be the theme. And you know, this is going to be the funny part and the, you know, comedic relief. And it's just kind of funny that we do, we do expect it. And when you don't get it, you realize you leave the movie saying, well, that movie was terrible because it didn't follow what you were expecting subconsciously. Which is why there are some movies that, you know, are, are sold as one thing and then you get there and you realize there's something else, which is also you're just sitting there the whole time. You're waiting for this thing that doesn't come. Yes. And it could be a great movie, but because it was presented in the trailer or wherever as a comedy and then you get there and it's like, okay, so there are like three funny moments and the rest of this is really, really serious. What's going Mm -hmm. on? Yeah. And it makes us sound like, like we're all just, you know, lemmings trained to expect this trained to expect that and i think it comes out of you know you do need the comic relief after the really serious stuff right you have to lighten things Mm -hmm. up i think that's what it comes from but as a result you know we are so used to it that we expect it now yeah and there's movies that don't follow that structure that are just they're really good movies and i've you know i've seen some i can't think of any off the top of my head but i've seen some that people have um 
just had a big issue with because they didn't like it, but couldn't even really explain why. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why it didn't follow the expected structure, but that's definitely something because I didn't go to school for writing or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have any formal education in writing or screenwriting. I take seminars and just even a few weekends ago, I went to a film industry fair. So you got to pick your track of like, you know, classes you were going to take all day. Um, I've been trying to do that more because I have, you know, that's not my day job. That's not what I got a degree in. So I'm kind of self-taught. I just read and listen to podcasts and read articles and watch YouTube videos. Um, because I have no formal writing education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are schools of thought about that too. You know, do you need Mm -hmm. the MFA? Do you not need the MFA? And yeah, I think, I think a lot of people don't know how to evaluate that all that well. You know, Mm -hmm. I I wrote a blog post about it a couple of years ago. It's like, if you want to teach, go get the MFA. If you don't want to teach, you know, and you don't want the expense and and all of that, there are lots of other ways to learn to write. There's nothing wrong with any of that. There Mm -hmm. are benefits and, and, you know, what's the opposite of benefits? There are pros and cons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it really depends on what you want out of it. Because an MFA is not going to guarantee you that you're going to sell your screenplay. It's not going to guarantee that you're going to become a, a, you know, best-selling author. It's just not. Yeah. And I think for screenwriting too, is that, you know, it's something that can be self-taught. So, you know, I, I work also as a production assistant on, on sets. Um, so I do a lot of networking through, I'm very big into social media. I have like every social media page. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm very big into social media. So I network a lot through there and I kind of had that thought that, well, I'm not formally trained, you know, I didn't get a degree in this. I'm, I'm not going to school for this, but I'll be on sets or I'll I'll be on the set of my two short films that were produced. And I'm in the same room as people that are either getting that degree or went to film school or left film school to pursue their own films. And, you know, I I just look around and I try to just remind myself that, you know, I'm in the same room as all of these people and I didn't get that degree. So I think, you know, I'm doing pretty okay. And I think with the degrees um, you do, you can, have more opportunities because of the networking. And then a lot mm-hmm. of film schools, if you're a student, you can borrow their film equipment and, you know, things like that. Or if you're an alumni, you could rent their film equipment at a discounted price. So there are a lot of benefits to going to school and having those connections and networking and having your professors as, as, um, you know, resources and networking. And, um, but I think if you're, good at networking and strategic, you can get to that point without that formal education also. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're in the same room mm-hmm. and you're paying any attention at all, which I'm assuming you must be, if you're in the same room, especially if you're sitting mm-hmm. there going, I didn't go to film school, you've got to be learning a lot just by watching the people who did and the people who do oh, this yeah. all the time, whether they went or not. You know, I think being in that situation can be as much an education and sometimes even a better education than going to school for something. Yeah, definitely. Learning hands-on is very beneficial. So, um, yeah, I do try to get on as many sets as I can just for that experience. And it's fun. You know, it's, it's, I work at my day job and I do love my day job, but it's exhausting. Um, it's really exhausting. I'm a school social worker, so I'm with, um, yeah, I do mental health and, um, I, I love it, 
But, you know, I come home just like exhausted and, um, you know, it's only an eight hour day, but I'll be on a film set for like 14 hours, 15 hours. And I'm completely energized and I'm very excited and Mm -hmm. it's so much fun. And just the day goes so quick. It's, it's amazing to me. I was on one film set for like 15 hours, maybe more. And as soon as I left, you know, that adrenaline definitely died down. So my drive home, I'm yeah. struggling, but, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I just can't believe how much fun I had all day, you know? So it's, it is really cool. What's it like being on a set? You know, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, so there's times where, you know, they yell quiet on set and then you cannot make a move and, you know, you can't make any sort of noise and you want to like not breathe at all. And, so everybody's just looking at each other, trying to look down, not to laugh. And it's, you watch the scene play out and it's really cool and it's fun. Um, and then as soon as they're like, all right, cut. And then everybody's running around and scrambling and doing this and doing that. And then, you know, it's a lot of running errands. You got to go get the food and you got to bring it back and you got to drive around and drive this actor here and, you know, carpooling. And so it's, it is, it's always, it's always different. Cause I've even been an extra on some films and it's just, for that, it's a lot of just waiting around and just mm-hmm. sitting around. So I don't know. There's times where it's super busy. And then there's other times where you're just waiting for hours for no reason. You're just sitting. Um, so a lot of times, especially with like the independent short films, you know, the setup takes a long time. So you're just kind of sitting around, but it is fun. It's exciting. Everybody's talking. Everybody's excited. It's a very good feel and vibe. So it's, it's a lot of fun and it's always, it's always different. How did you get into being able to go on sets. I mean, most people don't even know, have the first idea how you could do that. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, from my social media networking, so I am from Brooklyn, New York, but I went to college upstate in Binghamton, New York. And then I just ended up staying, um, after I graduated for a long time and it's a very small community. So they have a film community there, but it's very small. So I joined their Facebook group and there was somebody that was shooting, um, a short film. And so we connected and I was like, you know, just let me know if I could help any way I can kind of thing. And so I was, um, you know, I helped out. I was a production assistant for two of his short films And then I ended up moving here to Colorado and Colorado has a very big film scene. They have all these different film groups and it is a lot of the same people, um, in these different film groups. So you, you go to these meetings, they have a monthly or bi-monthly, uh, film networking meeting. So I try to go to that every month or every other month, whenever they have it. Um, and you're just networking with people and you meet people and, um, I'm in all the different, Facebook groups. Um, and then there's a website that I always recommend it's called stage 32 and it's basically Facebook for everything film. So, um, yeah, so I go on there and you could upload your scripts and you could read other people's scripts and you can go, they have all these different, they're called lounges. You go in and you can post a question or, you can, you know, post, Hey, can I have feedback on this? So just a lot of networking. So I started out small, you know, in Binghamton where the film community is very small, it's there, but it's tiny. So that was easy to get into there. Um, and then when I came out here, it was like, Oh, I've been on sets. I have, I have experience, you know, even though it was really small. Um, 
So that kind of helped just saying like, oh, I've been a production assistant twice already, so I can help you out. And so I've been trying to do that a lot more, but it is hard um, because I feel like directors and producers, they're so busy with everything that they have to do. So production assistant is like the last thing on their mind um, a lot of the times. So I'm always posting like, oh, you know, I'll be on your set for free. And then people are like, great, I'll email you. And I never hear back from them. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's kind of hard. And then I took a stab at it in Binghamton. I had a short film that I wrote, a short script, and it was only two characters. And so I wanted to try to film it myself. So I did, you know, my boyfriend um, helps with the sound because he's a musician and two of my friends, one is an actress and um, two of them came and acted it out for me and I filmed it just, you know, it was just the four of us. And, um, I never edited it cause that's what I, I hate editing. So it's still, it's been years <laughs> It's still sitting on my computer, but I filmed it just to see how that would be. And it was a lot of fun. It was hard, but it was a lot of fun. You know, the, the thing that I keep wondering as you're talking about all of this, you have the day job, you do all of the set work, you write your own things and you travel and how on earth do you manage to do all of this in the same amount of time <laughs> the rest of us have? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> um, I go to bed really late. That's one thing I definitely do. Um, I've never been someone to go to bed really early. And even now I feel like I go to bed so early now because I'm just getting older and I have to wake up at six 30 for work. I mean, I should be getting up at six, but I'm not a morning person. So I end up showering <laughs> at six 40 when I have to leave at seven. But, Ooh. um, yes, I shower at six 40 and I have to be out the door by seven. It's not, it's not a good situation in the morning, but I'm not a morning person, but I'm more of an, I've always been more of a night owl. So, you know, I'd be up really late, but, um, I've been going to bed really early to me is really early, but to my friends, they're like, you're up so late. I go to bed at 11 or 1130 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm up. Um, so I don't know. It just, um, I'm, I think one of the things that is helpful is that I'm fast. Um, I'm a fast writer. So I think that's been really helpful. Um, and I don't know, I plan, at my old job, I would try to do a lot of personal things at work in my downtime when I didn't have a lot to do. Because again, I, I, I work really fast. So anything that I have to do or get done, I do it quick. And I'm not really a perfectionist, which I think is also really helpful because I know a lot of people, they just take a lot of time to get something down perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not detail oriented. I'm not a perfectionist. I'll do something and I'm like, it's good enough. And someone's like, you should rewrite that. You should edit that. Or, you know, you should do this note better. And I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm not really, um, I don't know. I'm just not detail oriented like that. So I think that's helpful, but at my new job, I'm not able to do any personal things at work. I'm very busy all day. I don't have like a moment to myself. Um, so, you know, I'm with the students all day, so I don't have any personal time. I don't even have like a personal lunch time. Like they're with me, like every day, all day. So that's been kind of a struggle is that I don't have that personal time at work anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been a little bit hard to get used to. Um, but I don't really know it. People ask me that all the time. Like, how am I doing all these different things? But I think like I was saying earlier is that I'll focus like on a script for days or weeks and then I won't touch my travel blog or mm -hmm. I'll be working on my podcast and I'll be interviewing people or I'll be 
just making videos or working, you know, focusing on my Instagram. And then like, I won't be working on my cat rescue, you know? So I think I go in shifts kind of, which I'm trying to get better at. So I still do struggle with that being consistent, um, and writing consistently. I just have constantly just a backlog of ideas and things written down that I'm always trying to get to. So it does feel overwhelming. Um, but yeah, I guess I do. Um, I don't, I'm trying to get better at it, but I guess I do do a lot. But I don't really, I don't really know how. I guess. <laughs> I I kind of have a guess, actually. <laughs> yeah, go my for it. <laughs> my guess from what you're describing is that you're actually doing what I tell people to do when they have lots of different things and they don't know which one to pick, which is that you're doing the thing that you have the energy for in the moment. And yeah. because you have that energy for it in the moment, you hit a flow state faster than you would otherwise. If you were forcing yourself to do the thing that isn't the one that's calling to you right now because you haven't worked on it in three weeks and you feel bad about it, you're going to struggle to do it. Whereas the thing that's calling to you right now, you're just going to jump right in and you're going to land in that state. And I think you get a lot more done that way. That's just a guess, but it wouldn't surprise no, me if that's I what's think, going on. No, I think you're right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think you're totally right. Cause I do, I have tried to sit down and force myself to, Oh, I haven't written my travel blog in a while. Let me do that. And I'm just like, Oh my God, why is it like, I'm not able to do this right now. Let me switch to reading this article and then writing about that. Like, I don't, so I think, no, I think you're right. And that's something I struggle with is I listen to a lot of different podcasts and, you know, a lot of people tell me like, oh, you know, if you want to get anywhere with what you're doing, you have to focus on one thing on one thing. But I, I can't like, I just, I can't focus on one thing. My attention is everywhere. So I have a really hard time with that. Yeah. And I think that's really actually, no offense, bad advice for people like us, mm -hmm. because when you have all of those things, just doing one thing kind of feels like you're locked in a mental prison. You know, you, you can't, you'll sit there and you'll struggle with it. And, and even, you know, even if you have the one thing and you know, you need to do it. And I, I, just had this experience recently. It was like, I had to write something and I was having a hard time with it, trying to figure out how to make it work, what it should look like, how to have the tone come across the right way and whatever. And I was, I was tired. And so I said, enough, I'm going to bed. I can't do this like this. And then the next morning I played with a little, a little bit completely separately, like not even, you know, it was on my iPad rather than the laptop. I wasn't even looking at the same thing. And it flowed a little bit better. And while I was doing it, all of a sudden, the way to do it popped into my head. And mm. once I knew how to do it, it wrote itself. You oh, know? Yeah, so it's like yeah. you can you can pound your head against it at the right moment. But, you know, and, and if you really have to, you can produce something that way. I'm not saying that you should never do that because there are plenty of things that have deadlines and stuff and would never get done otherwise. But mm -hmm. but yeah, when when you really all of a sudden it clicks in your head, even though like I didn't know what all the words were going to be yet. I just knew, ah, I need to tell this story and that'll be that'll be it'll cover everything. And it and it did. I mean, it wrote itself in no time at all. And I tweaked it and whatever, but, but once I did that, all of a sudden there it was. So yeah, there's, yeah. you know, and it's the same thing. It's, it's kind of, that really is the same thing that a lot of writers will say about, you know, the structure isn't working and I can't figure out what the structure is supposed to be. But once I do, it'll all come together. It's the same kind of thing. Oh yeah, exactly. I, I fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, trying to force yourself to do the thing in the moment when it's clearly not coming, it's probably a sign that you haven't figured out how to do it yet. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are times, so there's times where I struggle like that and there are times and, you know, so one thing I always kind of warn people against is a lot of people say, Oh, I, I need to wait to be inspired. You know, I don't have that inspiration. <laughs> and I, I feel like, right. You hear that, right. So oh, yeah. I feel like I sit, if I sit down and I'm like, you know what, I really feel like writing my script right now but I have no inspiration. I have no idea. Just if I have that desire, I don't know the inspiration comes after I start writing. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm getting, it gets the juices flowing and I get all these ideas. So I wouldn't have people hold back because of lack of inspiration or ideas, like sit down to do it if you feel like doing it and it will come. Yeah. Especially when you're in that mood, you know, because because I think anybody, mm-hmm. you know, we all have those moments where it's like, I need to paint something. I need to sing something. There's mm-hmm. something that I've just got to do. And and yeah, and it's it's interesting because when I when I was doing coach training, I remember telling the coach who was assigned to me how I would get past feeling stuck, you know, when I'd start writing one day and, you know, was like, I knew where I was yesterday and now I don't know anymore. And, Mm -hmm. and what I would do was I would set a timer for 15 minutes. And my goal was to write 500 words in those 15 minutes. Oh, wow. They didn't have to be any good. You know, Uh it could have just been, I don't know what to write. And so I'm sitting here writing 500 words. And when will I hit 500 words? Because this is maybe 25 and this is going to take a long time. You know, it, it, (laughs) it did not have to be anything but putting 500 words on the page. But, you know, inevitably, by the time I got close to 15 minutes, at the very least, I knew what I was doing. I might not have hit that, oh, everything's flowing now and I know what I'm doing. But but it was just like, okay, at least I know where I am. I feel like what I've got is something that's at least acceptable. I can fix it later and I can keep going from here. So, yeah, sometimes you just have to prime that pump. And I Mm -hmm. think like, you know, in, in the example that I just gave, my struggle with it the night before was frustrating and wasn't getting me anywhere, but it was still priming that pump. It was like, I have to work with this idea and it's not working yet, but it's going to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think when people say I have to wait for inspiration to strike, that means I don't feel like writing and I might not ever, but I'm just going to say that I have to wait for inspiration. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how it works. You have to help inspiration. Inspiration is not a lightning bolt. No, exactly. And I think people think that it is because I think that, you know, in movies, too, you see, you know, the character that's, you know, hates their job and they're in a bad relationship. And then all of a sudden they're inspired to do whatever, like write this symphony and everything's better because of that inspiration. <laughs> and that's not that's not how life is. <laughs> and they write the symphony in five minutes, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All those notes are just magically, <laughs> magically there. And sometimes it is a lightning bolt. Sometimes you have those moments when it just happens mm-hmm. and you say, wow, that was fantastic. And then the next day, it's probably not going to happen again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just kind of how it how it is. It would be I, I don't know. I've had this conversation with people because I was about to say it would be great if it did work that way. But I think if it did, we'd be exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, when I've hit those moments, it, you know, I, I wrote like 10 pages in an hour one time when I was writing my book and I felt like I had run a marathon. I had to go take a nap. I was just, you know, you, you couldn't live at that pace. I don't think. No. And that's, that's, what's hard for me too, is that's kind of what happens is I'll have an idea and I'll sit down to write and I bang, you know, so I'm a fast writer if I have an idea and then I get into that flow, you know, my ideas start coming to me more. So that's, I think, kind of one of my problems is that 
I will start writing and I'll bang out like 20 pages of my script in that one night. And then I won't touch it for like three months because I just get, I think I just burn myself out from that one instance of mm-hmm. writing the 20, 30 pages and then I don't touch it. So I think that is, um, you know, while it's a strength that I could write that quick and bang out the 20 pages, I don't touch it again for months because um, I just get that burnout. So that's something I'm definitely working on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Completely understand. Mm-hmm. So, so let's shift gears a little bit onto the travel side, because as, okay. as I have mentioned from time to time on this podcast, I originally wanted to combine creativity and travel. So I'm still really interested in that, even though oh, yeah. I haven't had the, the money to support the traveling around meeting people part yet. But, but yeah, you have been to some really, really interesting places that, you know, halfway around the world, long plane flights, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. How did you, how do you get into doing all of that? Oh my gosh. So it's kind of funny because there really was that definitive moment for me that I clearly remember. So I had a friend when I was, um, I think early twenties, we met at work and, um, she loves to travel and I did not, I did not want to travel anywhere. (laughs) And, um, I was very content with just being, in my little town in Binghamton, New York. And so I moved around a lot as a kid. So I was born in Staten Island. We moved to Brooklyn. We moved to Florida. My um, dad moved back to Brooklyn. My parents got divorced when I was like six or something. So my dad lived in Brooklyn and I lived in Florida with my mom and my two sisters. And so we always went back and forth to Brooklyn, Florida, to Brooklyn, Florida. And then we moved to Nevada for a year and then back to Florida. So we're moving all around all the time. And I did not like it. And so, (laughs) um, I just, I didn't like Florida. It was so hot. I just, you know, I would walk to school. It was just torture. I just hated it. And so I go to Binghamton, New York, and it was such a cute town and like very small paced. I always hated Brooklyn. I just didn't like it. it was like loud and dirty. And I don't know, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the subway. And I didn't like Manhattan. Everybody loves Manhattan. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I just like <laughs> it's the loud the hustle and bustle. I don't know. Uh, everybody's like rude. So um, I go to Binghamton, New York, and I am just content. I love it. It's cute. It's pretty. Um, there's trees everywhere, which wasn't good for my allergies, but I loved it. Um, and so I met this girl and we became best friends and she just wanted to travel everywhere. And she's like, we should go here. We should go there. And I was like, no, like I don't want to. (laughs) And so she would bring me to all these like cool places, like these waterfalls and just all these different areas. And then, so Binghamton, New York is, um, close to Canada. Um, it's close to the Niagara Falls border. So it's only four hours away. So in college, me and my friends would be like, let's go to Niagara Falls. And be like, all right, cool. Sure. So I went to, I've been to Niagara Falls, like literally like 10 times. Cause it was like only a few hours away. So anytime like my sisters visited or friends, I'd be like, Oh, I'll take you to Niagara Falls. So my, so that friend really got me into traveling and, you know, we didn't travel abroad or anything, but we traveled locally, you know, to other towns and these waterfalls. She'd take me on these cool hikes. Cause I'd never really been hiking before. Um, you know, not like that. So, um, so she got me into it. And then in college, um, in my undergrad or no, sorry, my grad program. So I was friends with her right after undergrad. And then I took a few years of a break between before grad school. So in grad school, two friends of mine were going to study abroad in China. 
And um, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, I wish I could go. That's amazing. And they were going to get credit for it as a class. So the following, we were taking four classes each semester. The following semester, they were only going to have to take three classes because mm-hmm. over the winter break, that China trip would count as, a cl- as an elective. So I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I wish I could go. And one of them turned to me and goes, oh, why can't you? And I was like, <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. I mean... I mean, I can't. And he was like, but why? And I didn't have an answer. I was like, there's no reason why. (laughs) So I went home to my boyfriend and I was like, I'm going to China. And he was like, what? And he, and he had actually, Mark, my boyfriend has been to China before because um, one of his best friends is from China. So he actually went with him over a break. But so he was like, all right, cool. So I went to China for three weeks over winter break. And then that was my first, I mean, you know, I've been to Niagara Falls, but China was my first big abroad trip. And um, it was just amazing. I mean, I just, it was just the most incredible experience ever. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time. I mean, it was a hard trip. I got really, really homesick. There were days that I was crying and I was like, I can't do this anymore. But um, no, overall, it was really good. And then, so that was in January. And then that year was a big (laughs) travel year for me. I had gone from just going to Niagara Falls to, in 2014, went to China. On that trip, one of my friends, we became really close. She invited me to her wedding over spring break in March in Costa Rica. So I went there and me and Mark decided to backpack the whole country. So for her two day, three day wedding, we ended up turning it into a 10 day trip and, you know, backpacks the country. And then later I decided to extend, I was graduating, but I decided to extend my graduation date to August so that I could do a summer study abroad program. And I went to Spain and Paris for six weeks. Nice. Um, So that was a huge travel year for me. And then I was just like hooked the following year we went to Nicaragua. And then so, um, but I do very cheap trips. Mm -hmm. I do it very budget friendly. I do it very, very cheap. So um, Nicaragua, we spent, you know, almost no money. We do Airbnbs, hostels, um, you know, we eat the street food. We pack a lot of food with us. We pack a lot of granola bars, things like that. We have just a backpack, very minimal clothing and everything. So I do travel. I try to travel as cheap as possible. And then we do a lot of road trips in the U.S. as well. That's that's an amazing. I mean, because I'm listening to you talk about these three things in a row. And I'm like, yeah, somebody was a little bit addicted. <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, I'm going to go everywhere today. <laughs> everywhere. Well, and for China to be your first trip abroad is just, I mean, that yeah. is so culturally different. It's not like, you know, mine was France. So, mm-hmm. which is definitely different, but not yeah. as different as China. Right. I was completely culture shocked. Completely. It was like, Uh, For that to be my first abroad trip, I just feel like was so perfect because, I mean, nobody spoke English there. We were in town, like we went to Hong Kong and people, like everybody spoke English there, but we were in these little towns. We were in like Guilin, Shenzhen, nobody spoke English. So they actually set us up. It was kind of nice. We had um, Chinese buddies, they called them. Mm -hmm. So they were actually people who studied abroad at our university in Binghamton, New York. Um, So they set us up with them. So they would take us around some days, but they weren't there every day. I mean, there were days we literally had to leave a restaurant because we couldn't read the menu. 
we mm-hmm. had to go to restaurants where the menus had pictures and we would point right. to what we wanted. So yeah, but it was cool. It was cool. So then, yeah, we've been traveling ever since 2014, basically every year we try to go abroad every year last year, We didn't travel abroad in 2019 because we did a major travel abroad trip in the end of 2018, because we were, we knew we were moving to Colorado. We had never been to Colorado. We were like, let's just go. Cause we let, you know, we just, me and Mark got really into going to new places and we just felt like we outgrew our area in New York as much as we both loved mm-hmm. it. We just out, we just outgrew it. Um, we were always going to the same places. We had gone to every state in the Northeast. So we, we didn't have anywhere else to do our road trips. Um, so we wanted to move out to a different area in the U S to try to, um, just go to new places. Um, so we decided that we were going to quit our jobs and his job was like, no, like you're going to stay with us. So he works from home for them, for them still. Um, but I resigned from my job and, um, we did a month, uh, trip in Thailand and Laos. Um, and then as soon as we got back three days later, we drove across the country to Colorado. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and we had never been to Colorado. We just drove here. <laughs> Man, that is a lot at one time. Yeah, it's a, it was a lot. It was a lot. How was it to be back in Asia again? Was it, I mean, it, it, the, the culture shock wouldn't have been as big, but you were still in, in different wasn't. countries. So yeah, it wasn't, it was funny. Um, I love Asia. I love, love, love Asia. I want to go to just every Asian country. Um, we're planning another month trip. Um, not anytime soon. Um, it'll probably be in a few years, but we're going to do Cambodia and Vietnam Mm -hmm. and we're going to do the same thing like a month trip. Um, so, um, being back in Asia was great because he had been to China and I had been to China, but separately. So going back to Asia, we went back together to, you know, we did Laos first and then Thailand and my sister actually met us in Thailand, which was really cool when we went. Yeah, which was nice. And um, I, I loved it. And it wasn't it wasn't as much of a culture shock at all. Um, and Thailand is very, almost like very Western. So it didn't feel it felt more at home. Like Laos was completely like being somewhere else. Like I always say, Ch- when I went to China, it was like I was on a different planet. Mm-hmm. It was not and nothing was familiar, like nothing was familiar. But Thailand, a lot of things were familiar. They have a 7-Eleven everywhere. They have a lot of American foods. Like there's pancakes, like, you know, but Laos, there was nothing like that at all. But it was great. It wasn't as much of a culture shock, but I still loved it. It's funny when you say the 7-Eleven. I used to teach <laughs> yeah. English as a second language and most of my students were from um, Korea and Taiwan. And I remember having this whole conversation with a bunch of Taiwanese students about like, there's a convenience store on every corner. And is it a 7-Eleven? Or I can't remember what the other ones were. But it was like, everybody had their favorite. And and yeah, so, you know, yeah. like, no, I go to the 7-Eleven or I go to this one or whatever. And I just, I haven't been to Taiwan. I would love to go to Taiwan. Lord knows now I have lots of people there that I could visit. But, um, yeah. but yeah, just picturing, you know, all of these American convenience stores on the corner in Taiwan just kind of made me laugh. And, and the fact that they're so popular, you know, I mean, here mm-hmm. it's just like, I need a thing. I'm going to the Wawa because it's there. But yeah. but yeah. there it's it's a whole like it's a whole subculture almost from the sound of it. 
It is. Even they have 7-Eleven t-shirts everywhere. And Mark, <laughs> bought, Mark bought one to bring home. He was like, this is too funny. And you know what's popular in China is McDonald's. McDonald's is everywhere in China. I bought a McDonald's post Chinese postcard in China because it was just so funny. Oh, that is funny. Though I have to admit, yeah. I love when I'm abroad going to see what the McDonald's and the Burger King and, and whatever else I see, what's on the menu, because it's always got like the same core stuff that we have here, mm -hmm. but they are so much more adventurous. It, you know, when yes. I was in, I think I might've been in the Czech Republic. Actually, I was on a choir tour in 2002 and, and there was definitely a McDonald's where they had a sandwich and I, I could be misremembering misrem this, so don't quote me, but I'd swear, I think it was called the McZorba. It was like, you know, like a, a, a Greek gyro, but McDonald's style, which you would never see oh, here. Oh, wow. It, you know, and like no. all of the Burger Kings in the UK have, have for years, you know, at least for a decade or so, have had bean burgers on the menu. And I've always heard that they're really good. I've never tried one. But, you know, all of these different little things that you see on the menu that are so much more interesting than what we have here, where it's pretty much like the standard McDonald's menu yes. that never changes. Yes. Yeah, I, I just, it's such a little thing, but I also like to go into grocery stores and see what's there when I go to other countries because, you know, there's lots of the same things and there's lots of different things. It's the first place I went when I went to New Zealand three years ago and picked up my rental car because it was three miles away and I was driving on the other side of the road and I figured I could probably make three miles uh -huh. <laughs> and, I, and I had time to kill before my Airbnb was open. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the grocery store, which of course is what everyone says when they get somewhere else. But, but yeah, I just wandered through the aisles and, and all of the things, you know, like all of the British candies, like the whole wall of Cadbury's, but then yeah. all of this other stuff that I'd never seen before is really, I, I just think it's always really interesting. Oh my God. It's amazing. And that's actually, um, what I bring back as souvenirs for my friends and family is I bring back food mm -hmm. from other countries. I had, it was so fun when I went to China and we, me and my friends, cause it was a study abroad group. So there were like 12 of us or 13 of us. We all went to the grocery store and we just went crazy buying all these little like jelly snacks and then these like weird feet and like all these. <laughs> and I think I came, I came home and I threw a chi a Chinese food tasting party mm -hmm. for my friends. And I just had all these unique snacks, and, like shrimp flavored chips and just, it was, it was so fun. So I do, I go, I try to bring back food for friends and family as souvenirs rather than like stuff. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. It doesn't take up space and it's an experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So it's cool. So have you noticed that traveling has had any impact on all the creative things you do? Yeah, you know, I think it, I think it does. It gives me so many different ideas. Um, and you know, one person was like, you know, you should really write a script about your traveling. And that's the one thing I haven't been able to do. I can't like formulate an idea of a script for my travels, but I do the blog and I've gotten more into doing, I haven't done a lot, but I'm trying to do videos. Mm. Um, I'm trying to do Instagram videos and go live and stuff when I'm traveling. And I have, um, you know, obviously I do the podcast and I really like interviewing people. And I think just being a mental health therapist, I really just like to hear about people's lives. So one idea I have that I have not executed yet, and I don't know if I will, but I really want to interview people in other countries 
that I meet because I've just met such interesting people and I've just wanted to, you know, when I talk to them, I'm like, darn, I really wish I had a recorder or a video camera to be videoing this right now because <laughs> just such cool conversations and just hearing about, like, I met this man in Nicaragua. We named our cat after him. <laughs> our cat. <laughs> So we were in the process of adopting because I run the cat rescue, but I also foster through shelters and we were fostering these three kittens before we left and we were for Nicaragua and we were debating keeping one of the kittens and he didn't have a name. He had a name through the shelter, which was Hanson, but we didn't want to keep that name. So we met this man was our tour guide and he was so interesting. He wanted to be a journalist but the government there, it was very dangerous to be a, a journalist. He was a tour guide. He would travel two hours to get to work and then two hours to go home. And he would do that every day to support his family. He lived with his family and his siblings and his mom and dad. And he was he chose to live with them as an adult to support them. But he really wanted to be a journalist to expose all of the, um, you know, just the issues and the conflicts in Nicaragua, but he felt like it would be too dangerous. Um, so he was just so interesting. And we were talking to him for hours and hours, just all day. And, um, he was talking to us. It was a turtle. It was a turtle tour. So turtles are endangered there. So they have a lot of programs where they, you know, take the eggs from the markets that people are trying to sell and they, they, you know, have them hatch and then they release the turtles. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we did a turtle tour and he was telling us about that and just, uh, you know, all these different things. And his name was Raphael. And then we adopt, we adopted our cat and his name is Raffi. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) So I do really want to start interviewing people when I travel, but I typically like jam pack our schedules Mm -hmm. so much because my thought is I like to experience new things all the time. So my idea is that if I'm going to a country or a state, I am going to see everything in that country and everything in that state. And I'm not going back. I'm going to go somewhere new. So when I go somewhere, I leave with the idea that I'm not going to go back there ever. So I want to get my full experience in. So I don't really leave time, you know, a lot of free time. Like Mm -hmm. our day is usually packed full to experience everything before we leave. Well, you know, Skype is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Which is great because otherwise, yeah, it would be a whole lot harder to do any of this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I have a lot of, um, you know, ideas and different things I want to do, but one thing I'm trying to focus on is doing more videos like live and kind of, Oh, I'm here today, you know, walking Mm -hmm. around this town kind of thing and posting those and, um, doing more, um, kind of, um, I just did one recently where I, I, it's one of my goals to see all the hot springs in Colorado. There's like 20 to 30 hot spring resorts and I've been to five or six of them. So I did a video comparing all the different ones and what I liked and didn't like. And so I'm going to try to do more videos like that too. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it all comes together in the end. It does. I try. Yeah. I, it's, I try to get it too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not perfectly, but that's okay. I love that you, you know, are not a perfectionist. I think so many people get so hung up on all of those little details and being able to say, you know, it's good enough. Mm -hmm. I think we feel like good enough is an insult and it's not good enough is good enough. I mean, that was, that was our Mm -hmm. mantra my last semester in grad school. It doesn't have to be perfect. It only has to be good enough. 
Yeah. There's so many people, just all these podcasts I listen to that get hung up and they're like, I can't release this because it's not perfect. And I think, you know, I always thought growing up that me not being a perfectionist was a weakness Mm -hmm. because I just didn't, I just, all my friends would say like, how are you doing this or whatever? I'd write this essay or like one time I was like, oh, I'm going to have an art show of just like my travels and just all my friends have always been like, how are you doing that? I'm like, I just don't care. I just don't care enough to like, just get hung up on it. I just, there's so many more things in my life that need that dedication and care, I guess, that I don't want to waste it on something that I feel isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never really gotten hung up on that. That like, Oh, I can't post this blog. Cause I don't know. It's not like as good as this one or whatever. And like, I don't know. I've always kind of wished that I was more detail oriented and kind of focused on making things the best they could be. So I always kind of thought of it as a weakness growing up. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, I guess it's a strength that I don't, I don't get hung up on those kind of things. Yeah, it really is. Because so much perfectionism just keeps people from doing anything at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, or they'll do the one thing. And then like you say, they can't let it go because it's not perfect enough. And yeah, it's it's insidious. And, yeah. it, you know, which isn't to say that, you know, you don't want to you know, your big thing, you want it to be the best it can be. But you know, one of the first things I learned with writing is it's never perfect. Right. You will always go back and find something you want to change. I mean, I picked up a copy of my own book a couple of years ago because I was sort of thinking a lot of people were like, are you going to write another one? And I just thought, well, it's kind of its own thing, you know, uh-huh. but I sort of had the beginning of an idea, which I didn't write down and is now gone. And so I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm going to read the book again. And, and when I picked it up and read it, I kept thinking, oh man, I could have tightened up my sentences a lot more. And here's this, why, how did this, you know, this comma shouldn't be here. And I mean, you, you never, you're never going to go through it and not see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so true. And that's one thing I do too. I think it's the same. I have this weird, same mentality as with my travel is that I'm like, okay, I went to Costa Rica. I went to Belize I'm never going there again. So when I leave, I'm like, Oh, Belize, I loved you. Like I'll never see you again. <laughs> but I have the <laughs> same kind of mentality with anything I do. Um, like, I don't know if I, if I wrote a script years ago, I'll never, I'll never read it again. Like I, I just move on with my life and I did that thing and it's gone out of, mm-hmm. you know, it's out of my life. So I, I never go back and read anything that I wrote unless I'm trying to get it made and then I'll send it to somebody And then I'll be like, oh, maybe I should read this quick before I send it. But I really won't go back and reread things or look at them again. Mm -hmm. Because I just try, I don't know, I just have this weird mentality of like, all right, been there, done that, moving on. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's the thing. People will ask me sometimes, like, how do I know when I'm done with things? I'm like, oh, you believe me, you'll you'll know. Yes. Because among other things, you will reach a point where you just need to let it go. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, like, when, I'm sick of that. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. When you realize that it's like, okay, I think I'm starting to drive myself nuts with this and it's time to just, you know, so when I do look, you know, when I started to reread the book, it's like too late. It's out yeah. there. It's done. You're not fixing it. Yeah. You know, you can reread it to see, you know, re- refresh your memory, but you're not redoing it. it, you know, and, and good grief. Why would you? Oh gosh. I you know, know exactly time to do other stuff. You'd spend your entire life on a single book. Yeah. Just one thing. I remember, um, 
there was this man in, in Binghamton, I would go to this monthly screenwriting group and there was this older man there and he was very nice and he just, but he was just so hung up on this one idea and he was such a perfectionist that it wouldn't allow him to even start writing. Mm-hmm. And we would just say, you know, it's fine. Just, you know, just do it, just start. And he was, how I said before, I'm not good at I'm not really a good planner. I just kind of like, you know, type and I'm trying to get better at that. But he was such a planner that it held him back from writing. He had this idea for a script and he could just not get past what was holding him back that it wasn't perfectly planned out and he would not write it. And it just, it really just holds people back so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's your, your lesson for the day. Just go do the thing. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Cause like we said before, when you sit down to do it, it's going to flow, it's going to come out and then you could finish it and move on to the next thing. So yeah, just, just just do it. Yeah. It may not flow perfectly, but it'll flow a lot better if you sit down and play with it than it will if you never do anything with it at all. Yeah. And then you just, you know, he was an older gentleman and it's like, you know, your life is passing you by and he's been on this idea literally for years. He said years. And I'm like, I can't, you know, and I can't, I don't even know what I was thinking about last year. (laughs) So it's, yeah, yeah, no, you can't, you can't do that because you will drive yourself nuts. Yes. Yeah. Just completely yeah. nuts. So go do your stuff, that, people. <laughs> yeah. And if that thing isn't working out, move on to the next thing. There's so many, there's, it's just unlimited. So there's so many things you could do or write or make and yeah, it's and, okay to move on. And, and you know, that that's, that's actually a really good thing to remind people of. It's like, if the thing that you want to do doesn't come together today, it may be that today is not the right day. It may mm-hmm. also be that it's not the right idea for right now. It's kind of like, you know, I remember reading, you know, trying to read books when I was in middle school and they didn't click with me. But three or four years later, I picked them up and couldn't stop reading them. And uh, yeah. what's the difference? It's just it's not the right moment. It's OK to move on to something else. It's OK to come back later and see if the first thing works any better. And if it doesn't, it's OK to just abandon it and go on to the thing that does. There's no shame in that. Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. I have so many half written. I'm sure you do too. As a writer, you have so many half written things that are Mm -hmm. somewhere on your computer and in a notebook (laughs) and never to be seen again. (laughs) Yeah. So you started it and life happened. I mean, it, it happens. We get so Mm -hmm. hung up on, on shaming ourselves unnecessarily for things. And frequently it happens with the help of other creative people who think that they know the only way and that their way is the best way. And that, you know, I've, I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the whole idea Mm -hmm. of if you're a writer, you have to write absolutely every day. Yeah. Life has. Yes, Yes, exactly. And if you're beating yourself up because you haven't written something every day, but you could write now instead of beating yourself up, you're missing the opportunity to actually do the thing because you're getting hung up on. I didn't do it before. Who cares? Do it now, you know, do it when you have five minutes in between, you know, mm-hmm. classes or kids you're helping with homework or, you know, sitting at the bus stop. It doesn't matter. Five minutes is five minutes. Oh my gosh. It's so, that is so, so true. Yeah. yeah. Stop getting hung up on the unimportant stuff and just go do the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, that feels like an excellent place to stop. So thank you again. This has been great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was really great. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. That's our show for this week. Thanks again to Desiree Argentina. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help me reach new listeners. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.